Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, this morning, I just wanted to ask you the question, do you want to go deeper? And I'll put that out on Facebook. I've been thinking about it the last few weeks. I think about it a lot, actually. And so I just want to put it to you just quite genuinely, do you want to go deeper? Amen. Let's pray then. Father, we confess with our mouth that we do want to go deeper, and yet already in our hearts there are doubts, there are questions, there are experiences of the past, of failures, of disappointments, of things that haven't matched up with what we've seen, what we've read in your word about who you are. But I pray, Lord, that all that stuff would stay where it belongs, which is in the past. Because it is a new day. And you are doing a new thing. And I'm not just saying that glibly, you know my heart. So would you, within your people today, open up the eyes of our hearts so that we would be well lit with the deep knowing of the deep Abba, Father knowing that comes with the fullness of your spirit. Lead us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you want to go deeper? So what do I mean by that? Well, we could break it down. Do you want to trust more deeply? Faith. Do you want to hope more deeply? This world kind of needs hope, doesn't it? A lot of troubled kind of stuff going on. Things that concern us make us fearful. Do you want to love more deeply? This world is... I don't know, it's, it's loveless, isn't it, in many ways, in general. If you were just first introduced to planet Earth and you were asked to observe it, love would not be the first thing that came to mind. Yeah, you'd see little bits here and there, but in general, you'd be going, there's not much love here. So when I say, do you want to go deeper, I also mean, do you want your people to trust more deeply? That is, your family, your friends, your church, those that you work with, those that are uh, kind of at, I don't know, one kilometre on this thousand kilometre journey called faith? Do you want your people, your family, your friends, your workmates, your, your schoolmates to hope more deeply? Do you want them to, to love more deeply? In short, do you want to have in increasing measure, in deepening measure, faith, hope and love? Remember those three important things? Faith, hope, and love. Do you want those more deep, deeply? And I'm not just talking about as things themselves, but as connected to, inextricably linked, anchored to, bonded with the God with a face, the God with wounds, the God with a legacy, with a history. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Do you want to have a deeper knowing of what a saviour he is, what a father, what a lord, what a God. I, I, I just ask that genuinely, do you want that? And I want you to understand that whatever it is that's in your heart right now, whatever it is that may distract you, whatever it is that may call you to other things in the deepest part, in the recesses of your heart where no one else can see except God himself, except God the Spirit, 
I want you to know that whatever that thing is, it is nothing compared to knowing God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When his love is first in our hearts, this is what this sermon series is all about, first love first. When his love is first, everything in the universe is right literally for us. What a father, what a son, what a spirit. You know, encourage you to go back and look at some of those sermons in John because John, the Gospel of John, is all about the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, illuminating who God the Father is and then promising God the Holy Spirit, promising that he will be with us. It is all about him being first in our lives. So do you want to go deeper then? If you do want to go deeper then, the knowledge of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential because Jesus himself has said that he has left in a way and has in some way departed. We don't truly understand what that means for a transdimensional being to do that, but he has. There's some sort of separation there. He is at the right hand of the Father and he has promised that now with us is the paraclete, is the counsellor, is God the Holy Spirit. Okay? So we, if we want to go deeper, we want to know what it is to relate to God through his spirit, to be powered up, to be presenced, to be inspired, to be given vitality by God the Holy Spirit. We want to know about that. Here's the problem, though. God the Holy Spirit in Western Christianity, which is pretty much consumed with other things, and so it's easy to get distracted by many types of different arguments. Often God, the Holy Spirit, or any mention of wanting to go deeper instantly brings memories of debate, of discussion, of confusion, of concern, of division. And so for those of us that are true seekers, true believers, and they genuinely want to go deeper with God, it gets really hard. Because you will have godly men on either side, godly women on either side, or maybe at either ends of the spectrum of what it is to be truly Christian, arguing, debating. And so it gets really hard. So you might go, okay, what's that all about, Adrian? What are you talking about? Well, let me just present to you two theologians who I've listened to quite a lot and been inspired by. So I haven't just listened to one or two of their sermons or their sessions. I've listened to many. And you would consider them to be on either side of the theological spectrum But just have a listen to this and put yourself in the shoes of a young seeker who wants to go deep with God. They might have been listening to one or the other. Now they hear them going at it. They are equally intelligent. They are equally erudite, learned. They are equally theological. Both of them have PhDs in either Greek or Hebrew languages. And I just want you to listen to this. What you're going to see is a clip of some young people singing. And then you're going to see some comments. And I just want you to listen. Hopefully the sound will come through. All right, so this is played. There are perhaps several thousand young people. There's a video clip played of this. Perhaps several thousand young people worshiping as these words are sung over and again, fill me up. I actually talk about this in my Authentic Fire book. I actually have a note, a little section where I talk about this. 
And then next, this is uh, Todd Friel, who is doing the Q&A. I appreciate so much of what Todd does in Richard TV and radio and his bold witness for the gospel. So he has introduced this clip. Now these are his comments, uh, number 18. These are his comments that he makes immediately after as the panel is laughing after watching this video. Okay. Uh, I couldn't take it. <laughs> like that was about a minute. And that was 12 fill me ups. I, I sometimes wish the music would all go away and that I didn't have to deal with sensations along with my thoughts. L- low understanding of God, superficial, shallow understanding of God leads to shallow, superficial, contentless hysteria. You can whip that up. You can create that kind of frenzy. It has nothing to do with worship. It isn't worship. It's not connected to worship. It is sheer hysteria and a mindless expression. That has nothing to do with Christianity, nothing to do with God. That has nothing to do with Christianity, nothing to do with God. Okay, friends, that's pathetic. Let me say that again. That's pathetic. People, they're laughing, leaders laughing, audience laughing. That is pathetic. First, why not say, hey, isn't it wonderful that there's several thousand young people, whatever the numbers were, who've come together to worship the Lord? Isn't it great they're not out getting high? Isn't it great they're not partying? Isn't it great they're not just sitting around playing video games? So Pastor MacArthur and the the panel at the Strange Fire Conference laugh after hearing Jesus culture worship and people singing, fill me, fill me, fill me, young people. Instead of saying there was a context to the prayer and sometimes prayers are repeated. They're repeated in Scripture. Why did Jesus pray the same prayer three times in the garden? Why do some Psalms over and over say the Lord's good, his mercy endures forever, he's good, his mercy endures forever, over and over again. Why do the, the elders before the throne over and over and over say, holy, holy, holy? Why does seraphim say it? There are times where repetition is fine. There are times when it is worthless and mindless, and there are times when it's fine. I just want to read a quote uh, from A.W. Tozer. What comes into our minds when we think about God, and I'm just going to change this slightly, okay? Because you could easily say it about God, the Holy Spirit. What comes into our minds when we think about God, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshipper entertains high or low thoughts of God. So both those gentlemen whom I respect have a desire to to understand and know who God is deeply and rightly. Okay, that's a noble thing. For this reason, continuing with the quote, for this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the gravest question before you now is always God himself. Who is God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son? We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. What he's saying there is the way we see God will affect it the way we live. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that imposes, that, sorry, that composes the church. Always, 
the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. So if you're a young seeker, or you're an old young seeker, do you know what I mean, or a young old seeker, you're an older person wanting to know and go more deeply, then I encourage you to go deeply. I encourage you that if you go to the internet and start looking at all these different things and you see these theologians, I encourage you to go, wait a minute, God is my father. He wants me to know and understand more deeply myself. So I am going to open up my scriptures. I am going to open up my Bible. I am going to go and seek him there because I want to really know who he is. And, you know, I have been blessed by both these guys. I'm not actually saying that I haven't. And you hear them. Uh, And later on, they actually debate. One of them writes a book to respond to the other book. And I've read both of them. And you know what? You can read them. You can read a lot of things. Like Tozer himself says, you'll become a great theologian, but you'll be a useless saint in many ways. And I'm not disparaging knowledge because we want to know, but we want to know rightly so that we can go deeper with him, not so that we can have an argument. Okay? So if you're with me, if you want to go more deep, more deep, good grammar, if you want to go deeper, if you want to go further, then really all the stuff you hear, it's all in the past. It doesn't matter. What matters is right now. What matters is what you do right now, whether you ask, seek and knock. It is your responsibility now to ask, to seek, to knock. To know God more deeply in the power of his spirit. All that other stuff you might have had before or whatever, sure, it might inform now, but it's time for you to go deeper. It's time for you to open up the scriptures. This is what Jesus said in Luke 11. Verse 9, he was asked uh, from his disciples about how to pray. And so Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. The words I just quoted, they are Jesus' words. They are Jesus, the Son's words. What is he talking about? What is he talking about that we should be asking for, that we should be seeking, that we should be knocking on that door? which is just three different ways the Bible often does that. It repeats things three times for emphasis, essentially saying the same thing, saying you, you ask, you seek, you knock. Anyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You get that? Whatever it is, you're going to get it. When you ask, when you seek, when you knock, not maybe get it. I could say to you, train for the Olympics now. Ask to win, seek to win, knock to win, but you probably won't, whatever you happen to go in. But God here is saying, if you ask, if you seek, if you knock, you'll be given. And again, it's all in the context of prayer. So it's in the context of this ongoing kind of asking, seeking, knocking in the day-to-day events of life. Then he says in verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake? Can you imagine that? Imagine you, just imagine that. Imagine the disappointment, the betrayal. Or if you ask for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the, what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Who ask him. This is what I call an EED. Extreme, sorry, emphasis by extreme differential. Emphasis by extreme differential. What he does is, Jesus is so good at this, he takes something that we know really well, 
You know, think about a father, even one who was evil, they probably at least did some good things. Now think about the good things. Now compared to God, he's infinitely more, a hundred times, thousand times, trillion times more good. So if a sort of evil father gives good stuff, imagine, there's the emphasis by extreme deferential, imagine God the Father, what he's going to give you. And what he says is, the ultimate gift is myself. But I want you to ask. I want you to seek. I want you to knock. You cannot go through life kind of glibly going, yeah, yeah, well, I'm just waiting for God to move in my heart. I'm kind of waiting for him to make me want this. Uh, You know, we hear many prayers like that. I pray them myself. Lord, make me more thirsty for you. I want to go to make that. God is saying, you seek. You ask. Now let's compare that to Ephesians 1. Come with me if you would. I'm just trying to convince you that it is up to you now to ask, to seek, to knock. Ephesians 1 verse 13. This is Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. He has just sketched out the magnificence of what God has done in Christ for the church. The plan has been enacted from before the beginning of time. It is here. It is in fulfilment in Jesus. And then he says in verse 13 you, of chapter 1 in Ephesians, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So for those of us that have in our hearts gone... I need to repent of sin. I need to, I need to commit to you. I love you. I, I just see now properly. I want to follow you. We are included in the chosen ones. We are given the Holy Spirit. We are given the presence of the Holy Spirit. So how do you put that together with uh, Luke, where Jesus is saying, ask, seek, knock? Because Jesus is speaking to his followers there. The way I've put that together is that we are to ask for the fullness where do I get that from? We are to keep seeking the, the, the full measure of the stature of Christ. Where do I get that from? Well, I get it from here. He's a deposit, verse 14, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And then he says in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that what? You might know him better. You might go deeper. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's literally lit up. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy uh, people. And then he prays again uh, all through, a couple of times through Ephesians. In fact, three times I think it is. You see Paul deliberately just break away from his theology and just pray to God. Here's another one in Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name, and I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And you go, hang on, hang on, I thought Christ was already dwelling in my heart. He is. But now we're talking about in a fuller way, as you'll see in the next few verses. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, verse 18 of chapter 3, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide 
and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. To know this love, this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So wherever you are right now, on your journey with the Lord Jesus, in your relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, he wants you to go further. Even Paul, at the end of his life in Philippians, we won't go there, but he, remember those famous verses? Not that I've already obtained all this, but I press on. He was at the end of his life there. He was, I want to go deeper. He was still saying, I want to go deeper. And supernaturally within us, I believe God, the Holy Spirit, continues to do that. Wherever you're at, whatever level of sanctification you've achieved, he is saying, go deeper. Whatever love you fear, whatever hope, faith, go deeper, go further. That's Paul's prayer. That's Jesus' prayer. I pray that it's our prayer. I really do. Um, imagine that. Imagine that at Willowburn. Just we're on this trajectory. We're just going deeper. We're going further. There's cool things happening. They're not just, not just the miraculous things. They're cool, very cool. But at home, people are coming in going, you know what, I just... I love my wife properly this week. I know I didn't. And she comes in with tears in her eyes and goes, yes, you did. Or at school, you made a stand. At uni, you made a stand and it was gracious and it was truthful. You know, when we go and look at those theologians, here's the problem with them, guys. They don't put up with what you put up with. They're not put up with what you're putting up with in your home place, in your workplace, in your school place. They've got no idea what you're up to. They don't know you. All they know is the theological argument. They do not know the application of it. They do not know what it means to go to work and go, you know what, I'm sitting here right now. I can hear some of this stuff going on. I want to say something, but I don't. I want to love more deeply, but I'm just feeling frustrated and tired, but I don't. And that is why you could get caught up and in, in, the, in the arguments and comprehensively solve a problem that you don't have because the real problem that you have is that you may well be on a downwards trajectory away from the Spirit of God, away from going more deeply. Do you want to go deeper? If you do, then you need to know that God the Holy Spirit is spectacular, special, divine. You need to know that God the Holy Spirit is a person, he's not a thing, and that he is here. He is here. God the Holy Spirit is here. He has chosen to be with us. He has been sent by the Father through the Son, and he is here. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me and keep my commands, what were the commands in John? There's actually not many of them, but there's at least three that come out very clearly. Trust, believe, that's a command. Love, love more deeply. So what he's saying there, if you are coming to me and you're wanting to, to listen to my commandment and I'm saying believe, believe, trust, 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 depend like a, like a drowning man holds on to a life preserver, hold, hold on to me. Then he says, I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to give you an advocate, a paraclete, a counsellor to help you and be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him 
because the world neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. He is here. He is spectacular, special, divine. He is here. But what's he doing here? What is God the Holy Spirit doing here? Doing right now in your hearts, my hearts, in the world as well. What's he doing in the, on planet Earth? Because he's doing a whole bunch of things and they are spectacular, special, divine. But I just sort of wanted to, I guess, as a, as a leading question, say what do you think is the most spectacular, the most special, the most divine thing that he's doing? Um, and what we're going to do is we're just going to go through seven special, spectacular, divine things that God the Holy Spirit is doing right now, leading up to what I think is the greatest one. And you might disagree with me, that's okay. You can come up with your own, and I encourage you to get into the Scriptures yourself. We're going to do a broad, overarching run of the whole of Scripture. And have a look at it yourself. Just keyword search Holy Spirit. Get into it. But what is the most spectacular, special, divine thing that God the Holy Spirit is doing? I've called them seven splendours. Okay? I've tried to pull out my best photos for this one. You may not agree that they're the best, but it's the best. The Lord knows my heart. Um, been seeing some awesome scenes lately on the way to work, out on the downs. God the Holy Spirit, splendour number one is life. Life. God the Holy Spirit, life. No spirit, no life. God the Holy Spirit, life. You find it in an obscure place. There's a guy called Elihu, probably didn't even say his name right, I've Australianised it. Elihu in Job, he's the one that isn't rebuked by God. And he comes to Job and he actually says very similar things to what God himself will say to Job at the end of Job. And he says this, The Spirit of God has made me, the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The Spirit of God has made me, the breath of Almighty gives me life. In Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. He was hovering over the waters. That word spirit is ruah. In the Greek, it's pneumata. It is breath, wind, spirit, vitality, potency, energy, life. Zoe is a name that we get from Greek, which means life. It is life. He is your life. You want to know the difference between the presence of God in this way? in this kind of non-relational way, in this sustaining, life-giving way, think now to the end of your life. Just imagine it with me. You don't know when it is, but you know how it went, you know what happens afterwards, I mean to your body. Think about that. You breathe your last, and some of us, maybe many of us, have already seen relatives that we love or people that we love, that you've been with them at the end, and then the life is gone. And so many people, even people that aren't on a you know, strong journey of faith, would say, my, my granddad or my grandfather, I saw him there one minute, the next minute. It was not him anymore. There was something, something was gone. It was like an empty husk. It was, that is the life that the Spirit has given. It is gone. Do you realise on planet Earth, right, if you look at the, the ecosphere, the sphere within which life exists, it is so small. And yet we are told in the Scriptures that it is the Spirit of God that sustains all that. Amazing, the butterfly out there, 
the trees, the gum trees I can see swaying in the wind. God, the Holy Spirit, splendor number one, life. He's doing that all the time. That is so wonderful. That is so spectacular. That is so special. That is so divine. That is your God, God, God the Holy Spirit. Okay. But is that the most spectacular, special and divine? Well, let's look at number, number two, splendor number two, present. God, the Holy Spirit, present. A lot of people like to think that God is some, I don't know, faceless deity who wound the, the universe up. Or if he's there, he's some sort of force, just the cumulative effects of everyone's life force. But we are told in the scriptures that God, the Holy Spirit, and this is splendid, is with us. Now, he is with us in that sustaining, life-giving way, but with his people, he has promised to be with them in a relational way. That is qualitatively different to the way he is with the whole world. He is present in the comings and the goings, the new day dawning, the old day waning, the movements, people in their busyness. He is present. But with his people people that have bent the knee, committed to Jesus. He is with them relationally, personally. That's the way it's always been for the people of God. God, his spirit has always been with them in some way, relationally. It was a temple. It was a tabernacle. It was a pillar of flame. It was a pillar of cloud. Um, they, could, they could see. Nehemiah 9, 19 says, Because of your great compassion, God, you did not abandon them in the desert. By day, the pillar of cloud did not cease to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. Exodus 13, by the day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud. That was his spirit and a pillar of fire at night. Jesus, I won't leave you as orphans in the Great Commission. And yay, I am with you until the end of the world. And that's a real yay, not an old English yay. Yay, no. It is an old English day. For some reason, the King James came into my head. Anyway, and I think it's low, actually. Anyway, the point is, he's with us. And that was very special to me at my baptism because that was, a, I believe, a prophetic word that my opa uttered over me. And when dark times came, you've heard me talk about that. That's what I remembered. You're with me until the end of the age. And I was in a desert, I can tell you that. He is beautiful. He is splendid, spectacular, special, divine. He is God, the Holy Spirit. But is that the most spectacular, special, divine thing that he does? Well, let's look at number three. God, the Holy Spirit, power. Power, dynamos, dynamite. That's the Greek word, the Greek root word for power. You know, there is a difference between the Spirit dwelling with you as a good deposit and coming upon you or filling you in power. It is, again, not qualitatively different, but quantitatively different. And I've heard one old theologian put it this way. Say that you're walking along with your dad, you're along a, a creek there, it's a beautiful day, and he's talking to you, and you know he's a good father, he's not a bad father that we see so many of in the world now. It's interesting that the image of father, the very metaphor of father is, is so corroded now but God the Father what an awesome picture we're talking about a good father but so they're walking along the father's with his son and you know the son knows that the father is with him the son knows that the father loves him and they're just walking but all of a sudden for reasons only known to himself the father comes down it might be his son or his daughter and he picks him or her up and he just he just hugs his son or daughter and holds on 
Imagine the experience from just walking with him to now the hug. It's like a rush of joy, a rush of love, a rush of peace. It is quantitatively different to what you had before. Yes, he was still with you before, but now it's different. And you can read historically of great saints, even surprising saints from streams of, of, of denominational backgrounds that you wouldn't expect who have had this experience to the point where they've written it, quickly wrote down what they're feeling and it's gone on for days and days. When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, there is that power to feel, to love, to, to, to understand. And of course, there is power to serve. I always find it interesting that the Spirit is talked about like he's this gentle dove. He's just gentle. And, and I really have a problem with that metaphor because the Spirit as a dove is only mentioned once and it's just as in the way that it looked as it came down. It's not like it's, it's, the Spirit's essence is like a dove. It was just the way it looked aesthetically as he fell upon Jesus. What did the Spirit look like when he came upon the believers? Anyone remember? Fire. Fire is ferocious and powerful. It cleanses. Think about this. Judges. Um, the woman gave birth to a boy, named him Samson. Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Later on in Judges, Samson is walking along, the strong man, and I encourage you to read this story yourself. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came towards him shouting, they're going to take him out. Next thing, the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. You go read this story yourself. Do you know what happens next? Power. That's the spirit of God. That doesn't look like, like for those Philistines, it wasn't, oh, look at a little dove coming to get us. They were scared. They were, you know where I'm going. The Spirit of the Lord came upon. When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon, when the Spirit of the Lord fills, it is a quantitatively different experience to what we experience day to day. Uh, Gideon, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Go and read what happens next. The elders in the desert with Moses, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon them. Go and read what happens next. Power. Splendor number three, power. But is that the most spectacular, the most special, the most divine thing that God is doing here through his Holy Spirit? Well, let's have a look at number four. And this one, I just wanted to spend just a little bit of time on with you, and I'm calling it the prophetic light. Now, this is a picture, a little park that we run through sometimes. I've tried to get through here at times when it's pitch black, and because it's sort of in amongst the houses, you've got that light either side, but then there's this pitch blackness. I just want you to imagine for a moment what it would be like to navigate here through there in pitch darkness. You know, like I know this seems like a really obvious kind of metaphor, but just bear with me for a moment. You're going to trip. You're going to fall. You're going to hurt yourself. And in fact, if someone had said to you, Adrian, it is your religious duty to get from where you are now through this park to the other side, and you go, yeah, cool, I'm on my way, and suddenly it's dark, 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 dark. Oh, bang. Oh, Oh, ouch, might be some bad words that come out of my mouth. I might even go, what are you talking about? Who are you? What about if you had your family with you? What about if you had your, your people that you love and you're trying to lead them and help them through? You know, you've got, you got, we got our three girls or you've got your, your kids and next thing, tail end Charlie, whoever the little one is, where is he? Gone. It would be awful. What about if... There's someone in there that you want to meet and get to know. And it's pitch black, it's dark, 
You don't really know what's going on. You kind of grope around. How would you know if, and, and let's just say that was now God, God in the middle of that pitch blackness. How would you ever get to him? How would you ever know who he is? You never would. You just continue to grope, trip, fall, get angry, go, this is a load of rubbish. I'm going to go and play my Xbox. Had enough. I'm going to go out to Angel Cafe and have a coffee. This is all too much. Splendor number four is God the Holy Spirit comes with prophetic light. What is prophetic light? It is telling you who God is, how to get to him, what he likes, what he dislikes. Jesus said that our eyes are um, like the lamp of the body, okay? Now, if you, if, if you cover up your eyes, it's dark. The whole body's in darkness. But then he says, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines on you. That prayer that I just read you from Ephesians 1.18, where Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. It's the same word that, God, that Jesus uses for light. So he's saying, I'm praying that God the Holy Spirit through his prophetic light will come and illuminate that dark path, will show you who I am so that you can know me deeply. That's the role of God the Holy Spirit. And he does it in a number of ways, through creation, so that we kind of get it in our hearts, who he is through creation, through his word, through our day-to-day circumstances. So many times, though, guys, so many times we have malfunctioning spiritual vision. And so then God the Holy Spirit's role is to reorientate us. That's what I've said at the start of this. If you want to go deeper, I don't care about all the stuff you've heard about the Holy Spirit before. If you want to go deeper, that's all in the past. Now's the time to go deeper. Now's the time to open up and say, Lord, I want to know you. The Spirit brings light. We are told that Um, The Spirit has inspired Scripture. So when you pick up God's Word, it's all the Holy Spirit. That's splendid. John says that uh, Jesus once said to his disciples that the counsel of the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Prophetic light so that you can see the way things really are, both in the present and sometimes into the future. But is that the most spectacular, special, divine thing? Well, here's splendor number five. Have a think about this. I kind of like the imagery there. Like I said, try to pull out my best photos. Because it looked to me, it looked like a cross, but then when I looked closer, it had power lines. And it kind of had this sense of, you know, power. So splendor number five was powering the sun. God the Holy Spirit, from the start of Jesus' ministry, when he came upon the Lord Jesus, powered the sun. And Kerry and I were talking about this. Well, why, why would that be the case? Didn't God, have, God the Son have power in himself? Yes, he did. My best answer so far, I might have a better one in the future, is that God came as the Son to be the perfect man. And the perfect man is the perfectly filled man. He is the man that is perfectly or, or, or completely filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's, there's only ever been one man truly, fully filled, and that is Jesus the man, who was also God the Son. That's my best answer so far. But we know that it happened because Luke 4.14 says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit was actually taking him out into the desert where he battled the uh, devil and he succeeded against temptation and he comes back in and he goes out in power. 
That was the Holy Spirit. Splendor number five. Is that the most spectacular, the most special, the most divine? Do you think these are spectacular, special and divine? Is it just me? <laughs> he is pretty special, isn't he? I mean, even now, like, the amens or the yeses or the thoughts or the distractions, like, do you realise they've been powered up by God, the Holy Spirit? Like, Allah would not do that for you. If you had one distracted thought, boom, you're out of here. But, like, yeah, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Splendour number six. Splendour number six. He raised the Son. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that came into that dank little tomb we just went through it in Easter and turned it into a high traffic zone, turned it into peak hour by raising the sun. Do you know what I mean by that? All of a sudden there's all angels showing up, you know, Peter, John, the, the women, the women are there first. Why? Because the Holy Spirit came and turned a place of death into a place of life. He took God the Son, and what an amazing, I reckon, because God is a person, God the Holy Spirit is a person, not, not, a, not an it. Man, the, the sense of anticipation, waiting the three days to raise the sun. Is it now, Father? Yes, go, raise him. Wow. Romans 8.11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. That same power that came into that tomb is at work in you. We are told in Corinthians that though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being what? Renewed day by day. Is that exciting, Kathy? Think about that. So on the outside, wrinkles, grey hairs, more and more as you get older. On the inside, the spiritual being being renewed, restored. Till one day, the spiritual will um, somehow be made what it was always meant to be. The physical will be rearranged. Whatever stray molecules are left of your body brought together and you'll be raised. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When he appears, you also will appear with him in glory. That's spectacular, special, divine. Hannah. Probably shouldn't say too many. I was going to go through, you know, engage you. I won't. I'll just put the question out there. What, what, what do you think is the most spectacular, the most special, the most divine thing that God the Holy Spirit does? Let me give you a clue. Look, just, look, it's always easy for me to ask these questions because I've been thinking about it. So don't feel bad if you don't know the answer or if you think it's a trick question or whatever. I don't really care. If I was sitting there, I'd be doing the same thing. We go, oh, should I answer or should I not? Um, so what did... So let's think about some of the metaphors we're given of God, which are actually, they should be beacons of light. They should be like the lamp going on, give us an understanding of who God is. So what are some of the ways in which Jesus is spoken of in the Bible? He is the, I'll give you, I'll give you the first one, or one of the first ones, uh, high priest. He is our ultimate high priest. Is that all he is? No, he's way more than that, but he is that, never less than that. He is the prophet. Yep. Tell me if there's any of this. He's the king. Yep. What else? Redeemer. Prince of peace. 
He is the good shepherd. Yeah? You happy with all those? All right, so when Jesus said to pray, did he say, our king who is in heaven? Did he say, our prophet who is in heaven? Our high priest who is in heaven? Our redeemer who, what, what did he say? Our father who is in heaven. I believe that one of the most spectacular, one of the most special, one of the most divine things that God the Holy Spirit does is that he sends his spirit, Romans 8, 15, Romans, Galatians 4, 6. He sends his spirit into our hearts. And I'll just read Galatians 4, 6. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Now, why would I say something so individualistic, apparently, is um, so spectacular and special and divine? Have a, have, just have a think about that. I'm just going to read these verses again. Romans 8.15. You did not receive a spirit that makes you again a slave to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. That's for women as well. That's for daughters as well. Don't turn off there. What that means simply is that you are included in Christ. So the same way God sees his son, he sees you. He sees you as belonging to him, as a child. That's all sonship means. Well, it means a lot more than that, but that's what it means in this context. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. Romans 8, 15, you didn't receive a spirit that makes you again a slave to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The power, the presence, the prophetic light, empowering the son, um, Raising the sun, potentially raising us. That's so spectacular. But you know what? Satan believes all that stuff. You can just believe it and it means nothing to you. God, the Holy Spirit is gracious. He will keep giving you life as he leads you to himself. But any old person can believe that. But when God chooses, with all that power, with all that presence, with all that prophetic light, to say to his spirit, go and live with them, cause within their hearts a deep yearning cry to me. That to me is super spectacular because now I can truly appreciate all those other things. And you know what it also means? It means that all those other things are now going to be for me quantitatively and qualitatively different. Abba, Father. There's a third time where Abba is used. only used three times in the New Testament. It is in Mark. Let me read it to you. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. That was probably the most yearning, deepest call that the, father, that the son could call out to the father. It's that same kind of deep, Lord, I need you now. This is my worst moment or this is my best moment. I need you now. I need you. That is splendor number seven, and it's a gift. Peter would later preach. He would say, repent, be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 2, 38. But some of us are like this towards the Spirit as we finish off, towards the gift. Some of us kind of react in this way. Uh, this is a friend of mine. You wouldn't believe what's happening here. 
in that shed, the I won't say who it is, but uh, a certain group within the army has set up gas. It's tear gas. It's CS gas. And as part of our training, we go in there, we've got all our top three on, threat-orientated protective process, um, threat-orientated protective posture, top three, top two, top one. It's the big gas. You can see the gas gear on there, the mask is in his hand. And that you'd go in there, make sure everything was sealed, and then you'd go, right, take your mask off. So off comes the mask, in comes the tear gas, and you're just trying like anything not to like, you know, rub or anything, because it just makes it worse. And it gets into your lungs, it gets into your eyes, and you're like, oh, and you're trying to like get it all out, and then you've got to put your mask back on, purge it, and then pretend to pull out the atropine, whatever it is, from, and pretend, they'll give you dummy ones, and then put it into your leg as if it was an antidote. Now, if I told you that this was your experience of God the Holy Spirit, of course you're going to put in protective measures, and when I say breathe deeply, you're going to go, no way. No way. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe I've said, come in and breathe deeply of the Holy Spirit and it's just a vacuum. You're like, no, I've got to put my mask back on. Either way, whether it's been a vacuum and you haven't experienced God, the Father, God, the Son through His Spirit, or you have experienced something bad that has been called God, the Holy Spirit, and we see that is exactly what they're arguing over in that video that I showed you before. Well, of course, I can understand that you're going to want to keep your protective gear on. But the trouble is, is that if you get around life with sp spiritually protective gear like that, it's not designed for everyday living with the Holy Spirit. Do you know what I mean? It is actually designed for those worst case experiences. So in your own life, of course, you should put in protective measures when you see rubbish about God, the Holy Spirit. But you should also put in protective measures when you hear people poo-pooing, when you hear people laughing about what we just saw before, when you hear people laughing about maybe people raising their, their hands, I'm just going to be blunt. I reckon a lot of people don't raise their hands in this church because they saw the memes and the silly video about all the different hand positions that was kind of half funny but not really funny. If someone has genuinely put their hands up and they are praising God and you're going, oh, that's the funny, that's the, uh, the Mexican wave one. Like, yeah, it is kind of funny, but it's also not. Because then what happens is, man, I want to put my hands up. Oh, hang on, someone's going to be thinking that's the Mexican one. You know what I mean? We should be careful how we consider God the Holy Spirit. You don't think he's a dove? Ask Ananias and Sapphira whether he's a dove. Be careful what you're messing with. When we're told we can grieve the Holy Spirit, we're going to look at this way more detail soon. When we're told that we can grieve, it's not like, oh, the Holy Spirit goes away sobbing. It's, an, it's a deep, grieving anger. It's the same kind of word where Jesus is... Um, confronting the Pharisees and he's grieved about their lack of unbelief. It's a thunderous kind of grief. Be careful. Be very careful with what you do. You can be apathetic and just as simple as someone who's gone off on a bunch of entertainment, a bunch of kind of aesthetic music and all the rest of it. But please don't keep getting around with your top three on, talking about how wise you are or how much you know or how you don't want to go deeper because you feel your will's crippled or whatever. I want to hear it. God has said, Jesus has said, ask, seek, knock. That is all within the context of the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. Do you want to go deeper? This is the last slide. Here's the thing. 
He wants you to go deeper. Luke eleven thirteen. If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You want to go deeper? It's time to ask. It's time to seek. It's time to knock for that fullness. For that fullness. And so over the next six to seven weeks, encompassing the church camp, encompassing Pentecost Sunday on think May the 15th, we are going to be introduced, reintroduced, challenged, corrected, rebuked by the Holy Spirit. And you can do perhaps what you've always done. You can either grieve him, ignore him. He'll keep, he'll keep coming for you. But if you do that, you will miss out on what he has for you in this season. I know that in my heart. It's time to go deeper. It's time to pull out the scriptures. It's time to get serious. It's time to have a look at what is in our hearts. If I had a glass here and I filled it and it had rocks and stuff, it would not get as full as it could. That is the metaphor that Paul gives us. I was listening to the streetlights I was sharing in the share time. I was listening to the streetlights version of the Bible. It has a little hip-hop background. really like it. Listen to 1 John. At the end of 1 John, do you remember what he says? Dear children, keep your hearts from idols. In the streetlights version, with a bit of hip-hop in the background and in the Amarok going across the Darling Downs in the morning. This is what I heard. Dear children, keep your hearts from anything that will displace God there. Keep your hearts from anything that will displace God. Some of you are going, yeah, I want to ask, seek, not. Time to look inside. That's what I'm doing over the next seven weeks. I don't know what's going to be found there. Look inside for what it is that is displacing that fullness. He wants you to go deeper. Ask him. Seek. Knock. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to participate in an awesome communion.